So this is from Genesis 6, 1 through 4, and I'm just going to read this to you guys. This is what David's speaking about today. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, <clears throat> and they married any of them that they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they're mortal. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. You may be thinking, did he read the right scripture? Because how's that going to preach? But it is the right scripture because, and if you can get the sermon slide up, the first slide, um, it is the correct scripture because we are continuing in our sermon series called, Huh? 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 Strange Stories in the Bible. Strange Stories in the Bible. And this sermon I've entitled Heroes of Old uh, comes from Genesis 6, 1 through 4. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you um, that your word is alive and moving in the community of faith um, through the Holy Spirit. Um, and also your word embodies truth. And uh, be with my words and the meditations of my heart. Um, and may what I say be pleasing to you. Um, and may our community grow. May a seed be planted um, and grow um, from the scripture. As obscure as it may be. In your name. Amen. Amen. So, like I said, we're continuing in our uh, passage, or our series, uh, Strange Stories in the Bible. And as I was thinking about the list of passages of stories in the Bible uh, to choose for this series, um, I thought of, uh, I asked kind of our conference pastors in our conference in the Pacific Northwest on our Facebook group page, like, what are strange stories in the Bible that you've never preached on or would like to preach on or ought to preach on, uh, but never had the chance? And this was one of the, you know, more common ones referenced. And I was like, I'm not going to preach this one. I'm avoiding this. <laughs> like Nephilim, right? Nephilim. And this passage for sure answers our deepest questions, right? And the deepest question is this. Are we alone in the universe? Are we alone? In okay, I'm being kind of facetious, so... Don't take me at face value, but man, who are these sons of God? Who are these Nephilim, these heroes of old? These, are they angels? Are they gods? The first thing that popped into the mind is if you're, into my mind is if you were, if you're older like me, you remember the um, movie Clash of the Titans, right? Clash of the Titans, the story of Perseus, Perseus, who's half God and half human, the son of Zeus and a human being. So there were oftentimes the gods of Olympus had children by human, um, human beings. And these children, like Perseus, were heroes, like mighty heroes. And they did amazing things. For instance, Perseus, you know, capture, or not captures, but he goes after Medusa, kills her, and like, you know, turns the Kraken into, I, I don't know if it's actually called Kraken, but the Liam Neeson movie, right? Release the Kraken, right? Turns the Kraken into stone. So it makes me think of this. And who were the sons of God? Were they 
Titans, if you know in Greek mythology, Titans um, were the pre-Olympian gods. So we know Olympus, right? Zeus and Hera and all those people, uh, all those gods in Greek mythology. But the Titans predated the Olympian gods. Um, and according to Hesiod, um, they were the 12 children of Uranus and his mother Gaia, right? Gaia Earth. Um, so, and then there was this great war between um, the Titans and the Olympians for control, right? Mount Olympus and then the other mountain where the Titan, Titans dwell. up. So, is it that kind of story? Is it a story of mythology? Is it a mythological story that's like Greek mythology? You have these, like, high, you have these non-human but heavenly or celestial beings, the sons of God, who see, look upon earth and see these daughters of humans um, and find them beautiful and intermarry or interbreed. And they have children like a Perseus, heroes of old, right? Perseus, the half-human, half-god. And they were called the Nephilim. Is it something like that? Or are they just aliens, right? You hear, you know, the Egyptian pyramids or... Um, of aliens that predated human beings or visited the earth and, you know, passed on technology and stories and stuff to people. And um, now, you know, they're dwelling actually among us in modern times, but they look like humans, but underneath they're reptiles, right? For those of you V fans, right? They're actually lizards underneath human skin. Is that what the Nephilim are? They're these non-human aliens that are dwelling on earth and intermingling with human beings, <laughs> right? Silly. They're aliens. We are not alone. In Area 51, they have like a whole section for Nephilim. <laughs> Just kidding. Or are they like X-Men, right? Or Avengers living among us. Mutant hum humans. High mutant hum humans who were giants and had special powers and... and you know, they're roaming about the earth doing wars and like uh, using their powers to uh, um, do heroic things. And there's all these stories. Who were these heroes of old? Amen. <laughs> yeah, were they like these mutants, X-Men? And God was like, oh my gosh, they're too OP, as my son would say. OP meaning overpowered if you're a gamer. They're too overpowered. We need to like set them aside, put them in their own garden and say, don't leave this place. And they're still in that garden and they might pop out on the earth someday. Half God and half human heroes of old. Who are the Nephilim? If you can, there we go. Sons of God, Nephilim, heroes of old. Who are the Nephilim? Who are the Nephilim? So there's a couple, there's actually four, four or more theories on who the sons of God are, who the Nephilim are, and um, I'm just going to address a couple of theories because I, I think they're the most prevalent and they're the most kind of, yeah, that makes sense. That, that makes sense from my reading of scripture. But the first theory is the angelic theory. And the angelic theory is that fallen angels cohabitated with human females and created giant Nephilim, right? Um, the half-god and half-human heroes of old. 
Um, so there was celestial and terrestrial interbreeding. Um, and the defense for this or the evidence, the scriptural evidence for this is that you have the sons of God, that phrase, sons of God, um, in other parts of the Old Testament, um, most specifically Job 1.6. And that reads, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came along with them. Um, and again, you get a similar uh, verse or sentence structure in Job 2.1. So this, this phrase, sons of God, being attached to people, uh, fallen angels or angel-like heavenly celestial creatures that are rolling with Satan, right? Um, Daniel 3.25 uh, reads, He answered and said, But I see four men unbound. Remember, Daniel and his two companions were put in a fiery furnace, but when, when the guards looked in, there were four people, not three people. Um, so it reads, But I saw four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of gods. So that's where people get like, oh, son of gods. It must be some sort of angel, like the son of gods or angels. Um, Second Peter 2, 4 through 5, we read, God didn't spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into the lowest level of the underworld and committed them to chains of darkness, keeping them there until the judgment. He didn't spare the ancient world when he brought a flood on the world of ungodly people, even though he protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, along with seven others. So this second Peter passage is actually pretty strong because it talks about a group of angels that are cast down because of their sin. And right, or right adjacent to this is uh, a reference to the story of Noah, which our passage is right before the flood in the story of Noah. So there's something attached to um, this, these, this group of angels which God cast down to the lowest level because of a sin that they committed and puts them in chains. Um, and then connected with that and Noah. God bringing a flood upon human beings and all of creation because of ungodly humans, even though he protected Noah. And then when we talk about the Nephilim, who in this first theory are the offspring of the sons of God and the daughters of man, uh, daughters of humans, um, the Nephilim are referred to as heroes of the old. Some translations say they were giants. Our translation doesn't it doesn't it doesn't say giants and I think giants is put in there in some translations because it's connected later the same type of uh, word Nephilim which means fallen ones um, in the Septuagint which basically is the Greek translation of the Old Testament um, in numbers 13 in particular described the Nephilim as giants right if you remember the the people of Israel going into the promised land and they send spies and the spies come back and say, oh, they're like giants. We should be really afraid of them. They're going to jack us up, right? Numbers 13, 33, we saw the Nephilim there. The ascendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. 
and we looked the same to them. Basically, we were like little insects to them. They're huge, they're giants. And so that, fra that phrase Nephilim is um, used in Numbers 13, 33, and therefore by kind of connection, people say giants of the Nephilim in Genesis 6. And the second view, I'm not going to say which view I lean towards, maybe later, but I'm more for the mystery of scripture and the mystery of God. But, and I don't think this should be like divisive, like this should divide our church. <laughs> Do you believe in the angelic view or the Sethite view, right? Like this is not a salvific like issue. Um, but the Sethite view Sethite, right? You hear the name Seth in there. And if you remember, Seth is the son of Adam and Eve after Cain and Abel, right? So in the Bible, Cain and Abel had drama, had tension. Uh, Cain ended up murdering Abel. And um, in Genesis 4 and 5, what you get is the genealogy of Cain. And then like evil happens, like God doesn't kill Cain, but, you know, actually puts a blessing, if you will, or uh, a mark on Cain to say, anyone who hurts Cain, I will revisit on them, like, in, in, like, exponential ways. So Cain is protected by God, and he's fruitful, and he multiplies, just like uh, God's uh, command to other human beings. So we get his genealogy. In chapter 5, we get the genealogy of Seth, right? Abel is now dead, but they have another son, Seth. Seth has children. And I'll stop right here. If you um, get a chance to read and study Genesis, especially the first like chapters 1 through 10 um, of Genesis, it is just beautiful. Like, I feel like I can sit with Genesis for the rest of my life and not have the answers to all of humanity and the nature of humankind and God's creation, right? And actually, my children, my son and I, when we go hiking, we're constantly talking about evolution because, and creationism and like how those two can go together or they're if, or both and or they're ne neither nor or either or. Um, but there's so much in there and there's so much to look back. We can look back at Genesis and be like, what does God think about marriage or who should be married? Or we can look back and think about what is the nature of sin and why, why have we fallen? Why is there suffering in the world? What, 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 what does it mean to be the chosen people of God? What does that mean to be set apart and chosen? Like, or how does like millions and millions of people come out of one couple? Like, how does that happen? And uh, so there's so much in Genesis, and there's so much structure and, and pattern. Like, there's a beautiful system in creation. And at the same time, there's so much poetry and beauty, right? Poetry and beauty. God, when creating and fashioning human beings, took the mud and shaped it and formed it. Like, it's very dirty. It's very messy. Like, it's very gushy, and he formed just stuck his hand, he got his hands dirty, right? And shaped human beings. And then what does it say? He breathed his spirit into humans and they were animated, right? He breathed life. 
that's so beautiful, so poetic. And right, and even in fashioning Eve a partner for Adam, right, God takes a rib, right, from Adam and creates Eve, his partner. And Adam wakes up, sees Eve and says, my rib, that's my rib. All you husbands out there, you, get, you should turn over to your wife one day and say, you're my rib, right? That's really romantic, right? That's what I, I say that to Janice all the time. You're my rib. Anyways, <laughs> move on from that. It's okay to laugh in our chair, right? You can laugh, right? Um, that's my rib. So there's, what was I saying with that? There's a lot of poetic, very beautiful poetic imagery and at the same time, if you look at creation, right, it's very, there's six days of creation on the seventh day, God rested. And if you examine it, a lot of it is about delineating boundaries, right? How creation happens is God separates this from that, whether it's water from the land or, um, what's the other one? Light from darkness, moon from sun, right? There's, there's a creation of boundaries. And even to, when he creates humanity, he says to Adam, right, you can eat from any fruit in this garden. Right? You're free. Like, run these fields. Right? This is your playground. Except don't eat from the fruit from this one tree. Right? The fruit of the tree of knowledge. And, and that's where the fall happens, right, Adam? Um, listening to the serpent takes a bite of the fruit or first the serpent introduces it to Eve Eve comes to Adam they eat of the fruit God's like boundary is stepped over even though they have tons of fruit all around and what does you know this can go for 50 minutes but I'll try to be as short as possible what does what does the serpent say in order to tempt Eve and Adam God doesn't want you to be like him, right? Eat of this fruit and you'll be like God. So in some, one sense, you can say the sin of humanity is this desire to be like God, to make our own way, to be our own fruitfulness, right? Instead of relying on who God is and running within the playground that he's established. You're free, yet there's boundaries, there's night, but there's day. There's land, but there's water, right? So out of what, crea what creation is about is out of chaos, God creates days and nights and lines, right? Boundaries. And some of us, if you're a free spirit like me and a rebel, right? I don't see lines. That's just my personality, right? Yellow light means speed up, right? 65 miles per hour means, in the left lane, 85, right? Like, and make, don't judge me, okay, right? And, you know, those, uh, when I was a kid, those coloring pages with all the lines, all the other kids stayed inside the line. I was like, what can I do in the margins, right? And that's probably why I'm a church planner. Like, I was excited about church planting, right? Let's... Let's shape a church without all these traditions and these rules. But now as a parent, when I talk to my children, one of my kids who will go unnamed, <laughs> is like, 
Why do I have rules? Why are there rules? I'm sick of rules. Right? It's so boring. Like people are like, hey, yeah. we won't tolerate these rules. And inside, I'm like, I agree with you. I agree with you. But I know as a responsible parent, I'm like, you got to follow the rules, buddy. Right? There's rules in this household. There's rules. There's rules. And so what I, what I say to my children is, and this was what my dad said to me, is rules may feel restrictive, but the more you mature and the older you get and the more responsible you get, actually, the more freedom you will have. With great maturity comes great freedom, right? And so if you show me that you can be responsible under these structures and under these uh, rules and guidelines, then those, you don't have to be guided by those rules and guidelines. I won't be so obsessed with um, enforcing those, but it'll be about the principle, right? Why do you not do this? Why do you do this in that way? So you don't hurt other people. So the world doesn't center around you. So this or that. With maturity and age comes freedom. Are you with me, church? Yes. And that's what we see in Scripture. If you take the whole of Scripture, right, in humanity's infancy, there are these lines. There's these structures. And God's like, this is what relationships look like. This is your relationship to cult, uh, creation. This is your relationship uh, with the opposite sex. This is, uh, this is marriage. This is whatever. And don't cross these lines because what it means to be in this garden is to be my people, to be loving, to, to be with me. And the more... and. Actually, if you're not focusing on that, really, you have a lot of power and you have a lot of freedom. This whole garden is yours. Just don't try to be in charge, large and in charge on your own. I, just be free and enjoy what I have for you. But there's boundaries. Are you with me, church? Yes. So, the second theory is called the Sethite view. I didn't explain the Sethite view, right? I think I went off on a tangent. <laughs> so Jewish scholars, so we're not talking Christians, but, uh, you know, Jewish scholars read the Old Testament because that's their scripture as well. Jewish scholars have favored this view, the Sethite view, um, according to Jewish historical writings and literature, as early as the first century. Um, and then Christian scholars... Um, famous scholars and theologians like St. Augustine and John Calvin have favored the Sethite view. Um, and the Sethite view is this. Because in Genesis chapter 4 and Genesis chapter 5, we get two genealogies, right? The genealogy of Cain and the genealogy of Seth. There's kind of a contrast being drawn here. The genealogy of Cain is the sons of God, right? Or the sons of the daughters of, of uh, humanity. And the genealogy of Seth is the genealogy of the righteous man, the son of God, right? And so the trouble comes when this line of Seth, you are like the chosen generation, the generation which 
I'll move through you um, when there's interbreeding. And we see that in other places in scripture, right? The people going to the promised land, don't intermarry because you are my set-aside, called-out people. Don't intermarry, right? And so, so that's the view is that they're not talking about aliens. They're not talking about, right, angels fallen from heaven, but they're talking about the sons of men are these righteous, are part of the righteous line of Seth. They, they're not supposed to intermarry. They see the beauty of the daughters of humanity, which is the line of Cain, and they decide to interbreed and intermarry, and it creates just chaos and more sin in the world. So what of the Nephilim? Like, then what? So the, the sons of, so these two come together and somehow the, their DNA mesh together and they create giants, right? Heroes of old? Like, what is up with that? And so a lot of people say it's, it's not supposed to be these two got together and their offspring was Nephilim. It doesn't say their offspring were Nephilim. Some translations do add because these two interbreeded, then they're the Nephilim. But if you read in our passage, it's just, and there were Nephilim in those days, right? So in that sense, it's actually the, saying the opposite, right? If there were already Nephilim in the days where the sons of God and the daughters of humanity got together, in those days there were Nephilim. So what the writer is actually saying is, no, they aren't the offspring of these two. Nephilim actually existed already in those days and afterward. And that's pro problematic too because right after this is the story of the flood. So what does it say that, oh, there are these Nephilim giants afterwards? Right? So if it's about these sim the simple like stuff happening between like unnatural, right, supernatural beings, heavenly creatures, and human beings, and they create a Nephilim, then how are the Nephilim both there then and also after the flood? Right? And so people will go on to explain, well, right, the Nephilim, like the angels did it again. After the flood, they came down. They did it again. They saw, they interbreeded again. And so the Nephilim continued. Some say a daughter-in-law of Noah had, had that DNA in her. So that's how the Nephilim spread after the flood. Are you, are you tracking with me? It's really complicated stuff. And for, to a certain extent, I'm going to say to you, who cares, right? <laughs> so like, let's all go home. Why am I even preaching this? Another place where the angelic view gets strong support in is in extra-biblical narratives like Enoch, right? The book of Enoch is not in the Christian canon uh, except the Ethiopian church and the Eritrean uh, Orthodox churches have the book of Enoch in them. Jewish texts don't include Enoch. And a lot of it is because we don't, the Jewish uh, scholars were like, we don't think angels came down and bred with human beings. Like, this is too out of there. But in, anyways, in Enoch, it says, these fallen angels come down, sons of God come down, and they, they marry with human women, 
and Neph there were the Nephilim, and they were heroes, giants of old. And so that's, that's the myth or that's the story. Um, so actually the Sethite view is saying this. The Sethite view is saying when, we, when, you, when books like Enoch say, oh, it's these angels that came down, it's taking the culpability of sin leading up to the flood of Noah out of the hands of human beings and saying, oh, it's these angelic fallen, right, these demons, just like Satan is a fallen angel. It's Satan who created this mess in humanity. It's Satan who created, you know, made society uh, to the point where God looked upon it and said, we can't take away the wickedness. That's what happens before the flood, right? God saw the wickedness in humanity and said, it's hopeless. There's no hope. I can only take Noah and like recreate. Let's restart. I saw in creation, he said, God saw humanity, what, I, what he created and said, it is very good, right? Saw, good. When we get to Noah's flood, in, in the passage, the language is God saw, right? And not good. And so he recreates with his words. He recreates. And I, I like this view because it, it keeps the culpability and the responsibility of sin and the fall and the corruption of the world on human beings, right? Like Zeus didn't come down and make me sin. Right? It wasn't a result of these other gods. And when you study Genesis itself, Genesis, like the flood story, there were a lot of flood stories in the ancient Near East, right? The story of Gilgamesh, which is very similar to the book of Noah, right? So are we saying like, oh, the Bible is a myth? It's just another myth in the ancient Near East? No. What they did back in those days is they would tell comparative stories, stories like the stories of other people to set apart the one true God. So if this civilization told a story, a flood story or creation story, Gilgamesh or whoever, heroes of old and multiple polytheism, right? Multiple gods. Here is a creation story by the people of Yahweh creating its own story, but pointing to the one true God, right? Who didn't take on the characteristics of human beings, but took, it was a loving, benevolent God. The one true God who loved humanity, wasn't selfish and wanted to kill humanity like these many gods. And so in that sense, we see that in the story of Genesis, the people of God are writing and praising and worshiping the one true God who's saying, this is actually the way the world works. I'm a God who loves humans. Are you with me, church? I love you. I give you a lot of freedom. And, and, and life is good. But there are boundaries, right? There are lines. And I put these lines here and these boundaries because if you break them, you'll be hurt and you'll hurt one another. And I don't want you to be hurt. 
I want you to live in freedom and to be fruitful and to multiply. Um, Whatever, okay, I'm going to take a poll and you got to be honest here. How many of you are like, I like the angelic view? Raise your hand. Okay, how about, I like the Sethite view. Awesome. There's a lot of people who didn't raise their hand. Or <laughs> raise your hand if I'm like, I'm too tired and I'm actually dozing off because this is boring as heck. <laughs> That's okay too. We're, we're real in this church. Um, whatever your take, whatever your view, I think we need to be really careful before we say things like, oh, this is just a random part of scripture. Let's just skip over it. There's no meaning to it. Right? And I come from a school of biblical approach where more than like go, skipping from passage to passage and saying, oh, here, this defense, this, this defense, look at this obscure passage in the New Testament about angels falling from you know, heaven. And then here's this. I'm more like, look at the passage where you're reading and look at its context. Look at scripture as a whole. That's why here at Renew, We'll study whole books, right? Instead of doing like Bible surfing, right? Because sometimes the context, not sometimes, all the time, the context will tell you what's happening. And what we see is a good God, right? Who's, um, who loves humanity, but humanity continually doesn't trust God's word and God. And corrupts humanity or corrupts creation and itself and we as renew are a part of god renewing creation right renewing earth renewing heaven renewing all things um so whatever view you take i think one thing remains true that some type of boundary was broken, right? In particular, a, some sort of sexual boundary or like intermarrying, interrelating boundary was crossed, was unnatural, was not God's intent. Something was broken. And this brokenness, right? This crossing of boundaries multiplied, right? It multiplied, it multiplied to the point where a civilization, humanity, began to move further and further away from God. And I think that's the piece that preaches, right? That yes, we're loved. Yes, God's grace. Yes, we have freedom in Christ. Yes, yes, yes. But also... <laughs> There's consequences to sin. Are you with me, church? Right? And sometimes that's not popular these days, right? Sin! Sin against sin. It's like Mufasa. Right? Sin. There is sin. There is, there is walking away from God. There is breaking the natural boundaries that God set for us. And I'm not going to take time to argue what those, specifically what those boundaries are. 
but something happens in Genesis 6 and that builds up. Actually, something happens, you know, from the beginning of Genesis and like the sin of humanity grows and grows and grows to the point that a new covenant, God finds the need to create a new covenant with Noah, right? And this is really hard. I wrestle with this because I'm the type of pastor or preacher that li likes to focus on the positive, right? Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, we have freedom in Christ. But I know enough about people and having mentored, discipled people and been disappointed by people or me, myself, my sin, disappointing other people and hurting other people to know that our choices can hurt people. Amen. Like our choices, you can't just do anything right, without knowing that there's consequences. Whatever your interpretation, either way, God saw the wickedness of the human race and decided to destroy all but one family. And then you have the story of Noah. This is hard. It's in the Bible. It's hard. Of course, in the Noah covenant, God says, I'm not going to do this ever again, right? I'm not going to destroy all of humanity, right? And we, we see this picture of grace, right? But we got to know that what we do sends shockwaves, right? Has consequences. As an individual, right? Oftentimes, especially in the West, in the American church, we say, oh, my sin, my faith is just mine, right? It's just between me and my God. I'll pray in my closet. I'll pray in my quiet time. I'll confess, but I'm not going to share that with you. I'm not going to talk about it in com what is community, right? It's my prerogative, my individual faith. <laughs> we know that's not true. We know that we are interconnected and that we know enough about justice and systemic racism, for instance, to know that the actions of a few affect many, right? And we know enough about creation, for instance, global warming or pollution or the destruction of creation to know that the actions of human beings have huge consequences. What we do have huge consequences. What we've done in history has huge consequences. But the nature of humanity is to say, it's not my fault. Right? I wasn't there back then. I didn't own slaves. Right? I, didn't, I respect women. I'm not the fact the corporations that are polluting the earth. I didn't start this virus. It came from that country. Right? We're constantly shirking off responsibility that our history doesn't matter for today. So we'll not look at the bad stuff. Somehow it's bad to look at the bad of your past. We wouldn't tell our children that, right? What do we tell our children? Learn from your mistakes. Except somehow in our country, 
we say, don't look at our history. Don't. Our forefathers, right? Don't criticize it, right? Only look at the happy, George Washington and the cherry tree, right? Don't lie, right? That's the extent of it. Come on, you got to look critically at your soul and your heart and your history and your life and your community, right? What we do has consequences and we're responsible and it's time to own up. That's what this message is saying. Right? Look at the Nephilim and how jacked up the world got. Boundaries were crossed. So own up. Right? Yes, I'm gracious. Yes, I'm renewing. Yes, I give second chances. I'm the God of second chances. But wake up and take responsibility for your actions. There are lines and there are boundaries. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I even got lost and confused in all of these views and, and kind of breaking down the scripture. And so we confess to you that we try to understand and know scripture like we're collecting it like a bunch of baseball cards. But help us to honor the mystery that is the word of God and teach us through your Holy Spirit, even as we go from this place, help us to be uh, sobered by our own sin and the sin of humanity and be ambassadors for the new thing that you're doing, the new thing of love and healthy relationships and living uh, within the bounds of your creation. In Jesus' name, amen.